And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. He's director of Frontline Fellowship in South Africa. And Peter, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you so much, Dan. Good to be back with you on Redeemer Broadcasting. Peter, uh, before we open the mic, we mentioned that we'd love to review with you uh, basically an article that you sent out with the title, Promised Before Through the Prophets. And, uh, you know, this is the new year, and people like to make New Year's resolution. And I I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, our listeners would make a New Year's resolution? Some people come across this program who have not yet uh, received forgiveness from Christ. Uh, You've not yet experienced a relationship with God of heaven and earth uh, through Jesus Christ. And wouldn't it be wonderful to make this the year, uh, kind of a New Year's resolution, where you consider uh, all of the um, claims of Christ and particularly the prophecies that have come before and led up to the Lord Jesus Christ and his appearing in history, And so, uh, Peter, with that as a backdrop, maybe you can talk a little bit about this article. You know, about eight years ago, I began a wonderful project of preaching my way through, studying through every book of the Bible, and this was to coincide uh, by the time the project was finished with the uh, anniversary, the 500th anniversary of the launch of Expository Preaching, which Ulrich Swingley began uh, back on the 1st of January in 1519. So uh, I saw the need to work my way through every book in the Bible, summarize it, put it in a book format, an audio format, uh, to help and guide pastors in Africa in particular to preach through every book in the Bible. And going through the Old Testament survey, which of course took the first more than three years, it's quite clear that the Old Testament's incomplete. The scriptures in the Old Testament are obviously the Word of God, but they're definitely incomplete because the Old Covenant speaks of a king from the line of David, whose kingdom will never end. It spoke of all the families of the nations of the earth being blessed by the seed of Abraham. It spoke of a prophet like Moses arising from among the people, whose teaching would be unparalleled. It spoke of a servant of the Lord whose death would atone for the sins of his people, of one who would make a new covenant between God and man, one who would put the spirit of the Lord into the hearts of men so that they would know God personally and have their sins wiped out. It spoke of a stone despised by the builders, which would become the chief cornerstone. It spoke of one like the Son of Man who would receive authority, honor, and royal power so that the people of all nations, all races, all languages would serve him. It spoke of a priest of the order of Melchizedek, whom the Almighty would call Lord and welcome to his throne. It spoke of a coming Messiah who would be born of the tribe of Judah from David's line in Bethlehem, who would be despised and rejected by the very people he came amongst. He would die amongst wicked men, and his tomb would be supplied by rich men. Yet he would live again forever, and the Lord's purposes would succeed to him. Now, these are just some of the many prophecies that were fulfilled by Lord Jesus Christ. Not some of it, not much of it. All of it, (laughs) prophecies made by many prophets over a thousand years and more. 
were all fulfilled in one historic person, a baby born, a king, destined to die, that we may have a life abundantly and eternally. And that's an extraordinary thing. And, you know, there are over 2,000 prophecies in the Old Testament that have already been fulfilled, 333 of which were fulfilled by our Lord Jesus Christ. And in these 333 passages of the Old Testament that make predictions about the Messiah, 451 details are given, and every one was fulfilled in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. And this is just so incredible and so inspiring. that I don't know how many people realize just how much the prophets pointed to Christ and how much Christ fulfilled. And I think it's a tremendous excitement to us that, that we have a, a God who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who can declare the end from the beginning. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, in history, we often see storylines intentionally covered up. And um, Satan is the great deceiver. <laughs> he's out to fool us. He's, he's here to uh, steal, kill, destroy. Um, and he he wants this storyline not told. And what you're doing here is you're you're just opening up the scriptures, Peter. You're you're saying, "Hey, look at this. This is this is what's there." Uh, tell us more. Yes. So uh, this is extremely important in so many ways. So, for example, uh, some years ago, I was conducting outreaches in Hillbrow, which is a very um, uh, high density in city. It's a in a city. It's, it's sort of like our, our equivalent to your New York. And I came across two Orthodox Jewish men who claimed that they were waiting for the promised Messiah. Now, many Jewish people you meet are agnostic or atheist, and uh, many are openly hostile uh, even to the Jewish religion. Uh, But these were two Orthodox Jews who read the Torah, the Old Testament, and who were waiting for the Messiah. So I read to them from Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Then I asked them, who do you understand these passages to be referring to? And they both said, well, obviously these scriptures are talking about Jesus of Nazareth, but that's from your New Testament. <laughs> and I was able to say, no, actually, these two passages I just read to you are from your Bible, from the Old Testament, from the Torah. Psalm 22 was written by King David a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Mm. And Isaiah 53 was written by the prophet Isaiah some 600 years before the time of Christ. And these two young men were shocked. And I handed them the Bible so they could read for themselves and I urged them, go back home, look in your own scriptures, and see that this is so. And they were visibly shaken. And mm. um, In fact, they later came in touch with Jews for Jesus and gave their lives to the Lord because they saw Jesus as obviously the Messiah, spoken of by David in Psalm 22 and by Zion, Isaiah 53. And there's so many great prophecies that uh, we need to be letting people know about. So, for example, the Lord Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. That's in Matthew 5, 17. And after he had risen from the dead, our Lord appeared to some of his followers on the road to Emmaus. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Yeah, beautiful. Now, that's in Luke 24, verse 27. So, Jesus taught his followers on the road to Emmaus that all the scriptures point to Christ, to the Messiah. 
And to his disciples, Jesus explained, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Because all these things must be fulfilled, which was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Luke 24 came. And in John 5, Jesus said to the Jews, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. If you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. And again and again, we see in the scriptures how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. All this was done so that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. You read that over and over. And Jesus began his public ministry by reading a Messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah and then declaring, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's in Luke 4. Mm. So throughout the book of Acts, we read, Words like these, but these things that God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And to him all the prophets bear witness. So just take, for example, the feasts. The Levitical feasts of the Old Covenant are all fulfilled in Christ. For example, the Passover is fulfilled in the death of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, Christ is our Passover lamb. And the feast of first fruits is fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, Jesus is the first fruits. And then the Feast of Pentecost is fulfilled in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as we read in Acts 2, verse 4. Mm. And the Old Testament prophecies are very specific. So just a quick overview. Uh, We read that after the fall of Adam and Eve, God promised a Redeemer born of the seed of the woman, whose heel would be bruised by Satan, but who would crush Satan's head. So uh, a wound to a heel... Is painful, but it's not fatal. But a a wound to the head can be seriously fatal. (laughs) And so throughout the scriptures, we see that Christ is the seed that bruises or crushes Satan's head. And this is symbolically portrayed, for example, in the the Passion of the Christ film, where uh, after agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, he stands up and crushes the serpent's head. And uh, that's, that's a very good visible sign of a spiritual reality, which is actually a repeated themes throughout the scripture all the way to the book of Revelation. We read in Isaiah 7 verse 14 that the Lord will give a sign, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And we read in Genesis 22 verse 18 that the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham. And then we see that he'd be of the line of Isaac. Now it's it's interesting that Jesus called the son of Abraham because this points out that he is called to the altar of the cross as Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son. Uh, that was a test. But then God said, but God himself will provide a lamb. And God himself was the lamb. He is also called the son of David because he's destined to the crown and the throne. He's king of kings and lord of lords. The first time Jesus came as the son of Abraham, the lamb of God, a sacrifice. God himself has provided the lamb. Uh, That's why John the Baptist pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the second time he comes, he will not come as a suffering servant. He will not come as a sacrificial lamb. When the Lord comes again, he'll come as the Lion, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Conqueror, Eternal Judge. The Messiah was to be born of the Lion of Isaac. Uh, So that immediately rules out uh, um, uh, Ishmael. And then we see that he would come from the Hebrew race, he'd come of the line of Abraham and the line of Isaac, and he'd be a descent of Jacob. And then we read that he'd come from the tribe of Judah. 
So that rules out one-twelfth of the tribes. And then he'd come from the family of Jesse. And then we read from the house of David, at down Jeremiah 23, verse 5. So these prophecies are telling us the Messiah would be born of a virgin, from the line of Abraham, descend from Isaac, not Ishmael, from Jacob, not Esau, from the tribe of Judah, not any of the other tribes, from the family of Jesse, from the house of King David. So these prophecies are becoming more and more specific as to where the Messiah would be born and of whom. And he would be born at Bethlehem. Micah 5 verse 8, But you, Bethlehem of Frater, though you are little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings are from of old, from everlasting. And it was also prophesied that kings would present gifts to him. And this was partially fulfilled when the wise men from the east came and fell down and worshipped him and offered up their treasures and gifts to the Lord Jesus. There were other prophecies that the Messiah would be called Lord, that he would be a prophet, that he uh, would be a priest, and that he would be a king, that he would be a judge, that he would have a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, that he would be preceded by a messenger to prepare the way in the wilderness, crying out, make a straight way for the Lord in the desert, uh, lift up every, uh, may every valley be exalted, may every mountain be laid low, may the crooked place be made straight, may the rough place be made smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be received. And John the Baptist preached these very words. Prepare the way for Yahweh. Make his path straight. His ministry would begin in Galilee, uh, in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, which is uh, recorded in Matthew 4. That's where he began his ministry. He would work miracles. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The mm. ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like the deer. The tongue of the dumb will sing for joy. That's in Isaiah 35. And we read that this is what Jesus did. He came speaking parables. He had entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He had entered the temple suddenly. He had drive out those who were uh, corrupting God's house because zeal for God's house will consume him. And he would be a rock of stumbling. He would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. And those 30 pieces of silver would be thrown into God's house. He'd be forsaken by his disciples. He'd be accused by false witnesses. He'd be silent before his accusers. He'd be wounded and bruised and beaten and mocked. His hands and his feet would be pierced. And that's in Psalm 22, written a thousand years before it was done and hundreds of years before the concept of crucifixion was even invented. Mm. He would be executed with thieves. He'd intercede for his persecutors. He'd be rejected by his own people. His friends would stand afar off. People would shake their heads at him. His garments would be gambled for him. There's verses for each of these, and gall and vinegar would be offered to him. He would cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we've, I've put this study together with the Old Testament prophecy and with the New Testament fulfillment. And it's extraordinary that although in crucifixion they always broke the bones of the legs of the person being crucified right. to hasten their death, but because when they came to Jesus and saw he's already dead, they did not break his legs, and that's very unusual that uh, and yet that's a prophecy in Psalm 34, verse 20. They won't break any of his bones. But his side would be pierced, and his heart would break, and there would be darkness over the land, and he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. But he would rise from the dead. He'd ascend on high. He'd be seated at the right hand of God, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Many Gentiles, even kings, would come to his light. And uh, there's so many wonderful prophecies and when you look at that, you just cannot but be convinced because these prophecies weren't done in a few moments. It was spread out over over 1,500 years at least. 
and written in so many different books by so many different witnesses and the testimonies of the prophets bear witness to Christ. The miracles convinced his present, the people who saw him then, the prophecies can convince us from a distance. Mm. But the Lord has found so many witnesses to confirm to us that we can know for a certainty that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, and he's in South Africa as we're recording this. He is the director of Frontline Fellowship. We're talking about all the prophecies that led up to the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. And um, you might, dear listener, you might be saying, yeah, I've heard all that before. But um, there's something that happens, and we kind of saw it in the life of someone by the name of Saul in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Uh, He was persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, he did have a vision. God uh, really met Saul. He would later become named Paul. And uh, Ananias is called by the Lord to go and see Saul because Saul had been struck blind. And uh, as he comes into the house, he lays his hands on Saul. He says, Brother Saul, the the Lord Jesus appeared to you, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scripture (laughs) records, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. And so God did a mighty work in the heart of Saul, and certainly he had all of this information, but something was missing, and it was the the miraculous work of God on Saul's heart. And that happens today, time and time again, as God um, gives the gift of eternal life to his people. And Peter, I think you have probably seen this sort of thing happen many times because you're a missionary, um, right? You've seen this. Yes. Yes, I have. In fact, I was not brought up in a Christian family. I I did not go to church or Sunday school uh, at all before I was converted at age 17. So I was raised in Rhodesia in a secular family. There was no prayer or Bible reading or Sunday school in our family. And uh, I was confronted with the claims of Christ at age 17. And the first time I heard the gospel, I went forward and I surrendered my life to Christ. And all my skepticism and the agnosticism that I'd sort of taken uh, as as granted from my father uh, just fell away and mm. we need to notice that careful investigations and courage there's nothing wrong with being cautious and careful when it comes right. to eternal matters there's so much in the world we should be very skeptical about yeah. we should not be gullible there's no virtue in gullibility there's far too much superstition and ignorance in the world and Truth does not fear investigation. And the scriptures encourages us to investigate. And God even says, come, let us reason together. Um, uh, Though your sins be as scarlet, yet they shall be as white as snow. And Thomas declared that the disciple, Thomas, said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, unless I put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And when Thomas was confronted by the risen Lord Jesus, He dedicated the rest of his life to proclaiming the truth of the resurrected Messiah. And like all the other disciples, Thomas suffered. And like 11 other disciples, he died establishing churches in the field. In fact, Mm. the Bar Thomas churches in India remain to this day. And, you know, would you die for a lie? And every one of the apostles died 
testifying to the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And and that's a whole study on its own, looking at the evidence for the resurrection. But but Christianity is not a blind leap into the dark. False religions require blind faith. Christianity wants an intelligent step into the light. We're not meant to have faith in faith, but faith in facts. Now, I know there's some people who preach faith in faith, but that's not Christianity. Uh, in the Bible, you see time and again that when they saw the evidence, they believed. And mm. uh, the Bible continually um, shows the kind of faith is faith in facts. And we have a historic religion. And you can even see that in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it, it's about history and not just the teachings of Christ, but what he did and the fact that he died and rose from dead and ascended on high and is coming again. And uh, so when you look at the different religions of the world, it's interesting that of all the books that claim to be holy books, there's no specific prophecies ex- of the future except in Christianity. And mm. that's true for the writings of Buddha, Lao Tzu, Confucius, Muhammad. Uh, I've been debating with Muslims like the uh, most famous Muslim debater and writer in our lifetime was Ahmadidat. And in the largest mosque in the Southern Hemisphere at the Islamic Propagation Center International Headquarters, I debated Ahmadidat. And one of the questions I asked him is, what prophecies are there in the Quran of the future that can authenticate that it's the word of God? And after thinking for a long time, he said... Now, bear in mind, is the most eloquent writer and author who's published many titles with millions of copies in print. Ahmadidat said, well, Muhammad prophesied the fall of the Roman Empire. And I had to say, well, that's history. That's not prophecy because the <laughs> Roman Empire fell uh, over 140 years before the rise of Islam and Muhammad. Uh, the Roman Empire fell in the 5th century and Muhammad was preaching in the 6th into, uh, into the 7th century. So, Really, that that's not prophecy. If, if I prophesied to you that the Berlin Wall would fall in right. 1989, um, you'd say, well, that was 31 years ago. That hardly requires prophetic ability. That's just historical observation. But the Bible is different. The Bible has got a lot of very specific prophecies about Babylon and Tyre and Sidon and many other places which were fulfilled historically. And if you look at what we talk about in the life of Christ, it's so absolutely convincing to anyone who wants to look with a with a clear and cautious mind, a skeptical mind, but open to facts. There's over 333 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the life and ministry of Christ. The place of his birth, the time of his birth, the unique manner of his death, the manner of his birth, and so much more prophesied in detail hundreds of years before. And Jesus is the seed of the woman. He was born of a virgin. He is Emmanuel the son of God, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the line of the tribe of Judah, prophet, priest, king, eternal judge. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and the dumb to sing for joy. He cleansed the leopards, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he spoke in parables. And at the point of time, he entered Jerusalem on a donkey, and he suddenly came to his temple, and he cleansed it. He became a rock of offense to the religious leaders and a stone of stumbling to the Jews. But he became a light to the Gentiles. He was betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. He is forsaken by his disciples, accused by false witnesses, wounded and bruised and smitten and spat upon and mocked and crucified. Yet he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem 
and the day will come when Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the eternal judge before whom each one of us must stand. And the question is not, will you bow to Christ? The question is, when will you bow to Christ? Mm. Because every knee will bow. We either bow to him today as saving Lord, or we will bow to him as our eternal judge on the day of judgment. When it will be too late for salvation, but every knee will bow. And the question is, is Jesus your savior, or will he be your judge? Are you bowing to Christ today on the day of grace, when the door to heaven is wide open, and this is a day of salvation, whomsoever will may come? Because, make no mistake, even the enemies of Christ will have to bow on the day of judgment. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a beautiful note to summarize our discussion today. We've been talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, Director of Frontline Fellowship. And, uh, dear listener, uh, this is for you today. Perhaps you have never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it's the new year. It would be wonderful to surrender your life to him now. And, Peter, if someone would like to learn more, is there a web address? Yes, in fact, this very Bible study I put on our livingstonfellowship.co.za website. So it's livingstonfellowship.co.za. Uh, that's where I've put my Bible studies and sermons, and I think the first one up was promised before through the prophets. Uh, our mission, one speaking about our work amongst persecuted churches, is frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. Well, that's beautiful. And we've known you for some time now, and it's it's always a delight to talk with you. And thank you so much for fitting us in at the last minute here. Uh, Peter, thank you, and may God bless your ministry. Thank you, and may 2021 be a year of excitement and serving God and seeking first God's kingdom. We need to live in obedience to them, love them with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and recruit more people to join the kingdom of God. It's, uh, we are blessed in order to be a blessing. We are saved to serve. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much more is given, much more is required. And God has given us so much. He has blessed and protected and guided and provided for us. And so out of gratitude, we need to win other people to him, and we need to bless other people with what God has blessed us with. So it's a, the greatest privilege in my life was surrendering to Christ as Lord and Savior. And since then, the greatest priority of my life has got to be to help other people to encounter Christ and to discover the gospel, to bow before him, to experience his forgiveness and the new birth. So the greatest privilege is to come for Christ, and the greatest priority is for us to go for Christ. Amen. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer, and may our Lord richly bless you today as you serve Him.